Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. What a week, especially to be in technology. I don't even know how else to start off this podcast. It's been a lot, right? I think that I can't dive into the main topic today, which is going to be preparing for the holidays and what holiday volume means for fraud and especially what I think it's going to mean for fraud this year. But I can't dive into that topic without just acknowledging that all of tech has been rocked repeatedly over the last few months. And I've definitely talked about the layoffs over several other episodes in the past. But last week, especially, there just seemed to be a lot of companies in our orbit that have seen significant layoffs. And I know that the most impacted people of those layoffs are those who are now looking for a new role and a new job and have a lot of uncertainty. There's also a lot of uncertainty for the people who are left standing in those companies, especially one particular company that didn't seem to have much of a continuity plan or one that didn't really know how they were going to function after they laid off half of their employees. But I know that that's especially difficult for those left standing, so to speak, whether they have survivor's guilt or jealousy because they wish that they could get off the crazy train and maybe have a severance. It's really hard for them too. And then there's another layer of people that also get impacted, not as much as the first two, but those of us who just are looking on LinkedIn and just repeatedly see layoff announcements, you know, hey guys, I was laid off or, you know, however it goes. And it's just a reminder that life is more uncertain than we realize. So I'm just kind of holding space for that a little bit. I couldn't not acknowledge it. I know that it's on everyone's mind who I've talked to recently. And it also seems to be impacting company culture and leadership attitudes and everything else. So anyway, I know it's a lot. Speaking of some of the changes from last week, I mean, there's been so many things about Twitter that I want to talk about so many lessons that can be learned from the last week and even the last several weeks, as well as some of the things I would advise if I were asked. But I even if I were asked at this point, that wouldn't be happening. I've known people at Twitter for several years. I've actually been to the offices at least twice that I can remember and have always had good interactions with the people that work there and know how hard the trust and safety and the payments team have worked over the years. And for everything that you do see, there is so much that you don't see that they have kept out of that social media platform. So it's a challenge when we see trust and safety and fraud people laid off from companies that probably need it the most. I was at kind of this crossroads this week and was really struggling with which topic to deep dive because I could easily talk about both the holidays coming up for retailers and what that means and what to expect and all of that as I was planning to do because I thought that would be a good addition to or actually a good compliment to Diana's awesome interview on Tuesday. Diana Gajic Physic. I feel like she's on a first name basis with everyone who listens to the podcast too, but Diana Gajic Physic at JD Sports was my guest on Tuesday and we talked a bit about holidays and then there was just more I was going to deep dive into and I'm going to do that today. 
But I actually took to another social platform, LinkedIn, to ask for your guys' input on which topic you wanted to hear this week. And it almost made it more difficult. The results were, let me look it up because I saw it. it was about 75 people voted in a day because I only had it open for a day. And holiday preparation for retailers was at 48%. And Elon and Twitter changes and the layoffs were at 45%. So only three percentage points off. Other was 7% if you're doing math and realizing that didn't add up to 100. And I had a couple suggestions for refund fraud and chargebacks and some secure transaction, things like 3D secure and, and contactless payments. So here's what I know for sure. Holiday prep went out and I was already planning on that. So that's what we're going to go with today. I am not certain if I'm going to do the Twitter stuff over the weekend, maybe for a bonus episode, or if I'm going to put it in a LinkedIn article. But keep an eye out on my LinkedIn and I will let you guys know. I know a lot of people are giving really interesting thoughts about all of it, but I feel like what I haven't seen as much is a trust and safety and payment fraud look kind of holistically about what could have happened and what did happen and all of that that I think I can contribute a little bit to. So what I will say is if you really want to hear about that right now, I just was listening to the Pivot podcast with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. Highly recommend it for technology nerds like us. I know several people that listen to Fraudology also listen to Pivot. I've suggested it to a lot of people and it's now their favorite. So the episode, at least from Tuesday, November 8th, was very good. And I haven't finished it yet, but I'm looking forward to that after I'm done recording this. So, all right. Needless to say, despite all of the turmoil that's happened in the last week or two, the holidays are coming whether we're ready for them or not. And while not everyone in online fraud prevention and trust and safety are as impacted by the holiday season as retailers or merchants who sell digital content such as electronic gift cards or popular subscriptions, things like that, I still think that it's good information to have because every year more and more companies are starting to try to take advantage of the holiday rush. And I've seen some very random things <laughs> saying, oh, you know, we're having a holiday sale. It's like, okay, well, why would I want to buy a mattress for somebody else? But okay. Then again, I know we all buy gifts for ourselves around this time as well, take advantage of sales. But I hope it's fascinating for people who even aren't in this vertical now because you never know where you'll be in two years. And also as a consumer, it's kind of fascinating to know what's happening behind the scenes. So I think I mentioned this a little bit on the introduction on Tuesday, but as far as when the holiday season starts, it keeps getting earlier and earlier every year. I noticed my neighborhood drugstore started putting up Christmas decoration the day after Halloween. And I should say that while I'm in the U.S. and so usually Christmas is the holiday that is most celebrated around here, I try really hard to be inclusive knowing that so many people listen from all over the world as well as you know different religions and cultures and all of that. But I think that one thing can be certain that whether you celebrate Christmas or not, Q4 is really a time of a lot of commercialism and purchases and, and all of that. So that's really what I'm talking about, not trying to make it <laughs> focused on one holiday or another. So anyway, as far as online goes, it used to be even 10 years ago that Black Friday was for in-store and Cyber Monday was for online. And then you just kind of started to see it creeping up a little bit earlier. There'd be sales online on Black Friday, and then websites and retailers online realized, oh, well, even though most stores are closed on Thanksgiving in the U.S., our website's open 24-7, so let's put some sales there. And then definitely in the last two years, especially in 2020, we started to see November 11th as kind of the unofficial holiday or unofficial start to the holiday season. 
And now this year, I've seen more pre-Black Friday and early Black Friday sales before November 11th. So all I have to say is obviously retailers are going to try to stretch out that holiday season as much as possible. But it's also because consumers are too, especially since COVID and because packages took longer to deliver in 2020, people have started to shop earlier as well. So one of the questions I wrote down first that I know I've been asked more than once, is there more fraud in Q4 or during the peak holiday season than the rest of the year? And it kind of depends. It depends on what the company sells. It depends on you know how popular they are for gifting their name brands. If they're popular toys, electronics, anything like that, then yeah, probably. But it used to be that really as a percentage, and it's still true to a certain extent, that as a percentage, the fraud rate doesn't actually go up that much. However, by volume, it does. Because obviously, if you are you know, 10xing your sales on Black Friday, then you're probably going to have 10 times as much fraud as you usually would on that day too. Fraudsters are on a budget as well. If they're using a stolen payment method like a credit card, they don't know what the limit is of that credit card. So they're going to try to get a deal also. And they want the popular items just as much as consumers do because most of the time they're going to resell those items on third party marketplaces or in localized markets and others things. So they're really shopping for the same thing. So it gets harder to identify because everyone's shopping for similar items. And I used to say that, you know, if detecting online fraud is like finding needles in a haystack, then for retailers in November and December, it's like three or four times the hay with not as many needles. It's harder because good customers are behaving a little more riskier than they usually do. They're shipping to other addresses. They're asking for changes or reroutes. Oh, oops, I wrote, I put my sister's address in wrong after the order was put through. I really need to change that. Or they're also spending way more than they usually would. Or they're shopping on websites that they never usually shop on because I know that when I buy things for my nephews, usually that's the only time I buy on that website. So <laughs> different things like that. So it can be a little bit more challenging to find. But at the same time, it's more important than ever to get it right. Because if you are canceling orders due to risk on holiday orders, that can be a little more emotional for consumers and they can be more angry because it's not just an item for themselves, it's an item for someone else. But also, especially if it's someone who's never used your website before, there's a chance that after they place an order for their nieces or their nephews or whoever, they might start getting your marketing emails and shop again. But if you canceled their order the first time, they're not coming back. You just referred them to your competitors. So the stakes are a little bit higher when you cancel good orders as well. So kind of like what Diana said, now's the time that you really test your systems for those companies that are experiencing retail sales. You're testing the processes and the strategy and the risk stack that you put into place the rest of the year to see how good it is. And I feel like I can't say this enough. I keep getting reminded almost daily that I have to keep saying this. Not all fraud programs and products and services are created equal. And so unfortunately, some of them are going to have a lot more false positives than not. Some of them function and just say, hey, you had low chargebacks. Just don't look at, you know, how many orders we had to cancel to get there. Also, you can have too many layers. You can have too many verification layers or you can have not enough. So really having that smart strategy and that smart layered approach is so important. If you have manual review, having them trained accurately and sharing with them, depending on your chargeback ratio, as well as other directives in the company, you might say, hey, I know usually when you're looking at an order, 
and you're, it's really on the fence and you can go either way, I usually say, hey, you know what? Let's go ahead and cancel that. Now I'm going to say, let's go ahead and pass it. So you just might change your strategy. Also, some retailers are changing if they're on a roll system. And this used to happen so much more than it does now, just because not as many retailers, especially bigger ones, are on rules when you're rule systems. But if you are, then oftentimes retailers are having to reduce their rule sets. They're having to make them a little more permissive. And fraudsters are very aware of that. So that's another way that they can take advantage. As far as, you know, the most common fraud tactics during the holiday, a lot of it's going to be the same types of attacks that you see year round. If a fraudster has found a way or a organized fraud group has found a way to monetize the products and the services that your company uh, provides, then they've already created kind of a pipeline for themselves of people to purchase from them and for them to cash out, essentially, and they're not going away. And if those tactics worked two months ago, they're probably going to work now. So you know, your regular fraudsters, so to speak, are probably going to do very similar things. But I will say, as I've started to see this interesting trend of timing, it seems like, and I noticed this last holiday season and this holiday season is looking like the same. There's going to be a little bit of conjecture here just because obviously holiday season has barely started right now. And I'm just looking at it from a 10,000 foot view, but I'm not talking to everyone and I don't have everyone's data. But it seems like refund fraud is very big at the beginning of the holiday season. It's been very, very big since, I mean, it's been large since early 2020, let's be clear. But as far as specific to the holidays, and I think that's because a lot of the people who are doing professional refunding, their whole business model is to purchase items that are easily resellable and sell them on third-party marketplaces. Whether that's a marketplace where you ship something, whether that's social media or an online classified or anything else, it doesn't really matter. But they want to get those items as soon as possible so that they can start monetizing that. They want, as soon as consumers are starting to think about holiday season and who they're going to gift what to, they want to be able to have those ads for the price of the item being way below MSRP. And how are they able to do that? Because they got it for free. And refunders aren't skilled oftentimes as, as carters or payment fraud. And so they'll do it earlier. Also, they know that there is a lot of companies are kind of stretching out that timeline for providing a refund. And so in that case, they know that they need to order this item three weeks ahead before they know for sure that they can monetize it in three weeks, right? Because the company might say, well, it's going to take us a week or two weeks to review this and determine if you get your refund or not. A lot of times when they don't get a refund, they will just return the item. I will say, unfortunately, that more of them are realizing that chargebacks are a lovely thing for cardholders. So I am seeing that on Telegram as well in merchant reports. That might just have to be a separate topic for another day. But then after refunding comes credit card fraud and all of that. And then triangulation is very big in the holiday season. It's big all the time, especially for things like theme park tickets and travel and other things like that but especially targeting physical goods, seems like we see triangulation go way up. I talked about triangulation almost in the beginning of the podcast. That was like 140 episodes ago, so I don't expect everyone to remember that even a little bit. 
But so here's an example of triangulation, and I've seen it in many ways. But oftentimes, actually, now they're getting more brazen and just setting up websites and will often point social media ads to those websites. And often those websites are, you know, random names or whatever, but people aren't necessarily looking at those. Unfortunately, they aren't looking at the website that they get directed to from social media. So they may not see that it's something that makes no sense, but there'll be different types of websites. Sometimes they might just have a couple of items select. Other times they might mimic and look almost exactly like one particular retailer. Other times it's going to look like a combination or a mashup of about like 10 different retailers. That was one website that was sent to me last year where the bad actors had clearly scraped the web off of very well-known online retailers. If you shop online and you see particular pictures, you can guess almost exactly which retailer that goes to because, you know, their pictures, their product pictures have very similar feel to them. And so you can know, okay, that is from this retailer and that picture is from that retailer. And they were all kind of together in different ways. That website was insane because there were thousands of items. But the customer goes to one of those triangulation websites and sees that the prices are very, very good. In a lot of cases, they're below what the retailer pays at cost. Those aren't prices that any retailer can actually give anyone unless something's on like massive clearance, which would happen long after the holidays and certainly wouldn't happen on these popular items. So if a consumer goes and buys something on there and they see a coffee maker, for example, which are usually very popular for this trend and have been over the last several years, only three at least popular coffee makers have coffee maker brands have been targeted by triangulation in the thousands of items, I should say, and millions of dollars. I guess coffee makers are a big hit to give on the holidays. So anyway, consumer places an order at that website. That website doesn't actually have any merchandise. So they take the customer's information that was given to them. They take the payment. Oftentimes, they have somehow secured payment processing through a couple different sources and then go place an order for the item that was purchased from the legitimate retailer. So if I purchase a coffee maker from brand A, then that person or company people behind that triangulation website, that fake website, are going to place an order with the actual brand of the company with the person's information who bought the item from them, but on a different credit card and it'll be a stolen credit card. So the fraudster gets to pocket the money that they got from the first consumer. They use a stolen credit card to the merchant and then the merchant is shipping the item. And a lot of these shipments look a lot like other good holiday orders. They then ship that item to the customer that originally placed it from another website. So the customer is like, oh, I got this from the brand directly. That's awesome. What can happen and where it gets really challenging is if the customer has any issues, if they need a refund, if they need to return the item, if something was broken in that item, because the actual retailer isn't going to have, well, they will have record of the sale, but when they look it up, depending on when the consumer calls, it'll be after a chargeback was issued. So it can get very tricky because then does the retailer issue or provide service to them, et cetera, et cetera. It also can be a challenge because a lot of times those consumers who unknowingly place an order on a suspicious website like that, if their you know, name and email address and phone number and mailing address are used on that fraudulent order, chances are once that chargeback comes in, their order is being marked as fraudulent and they're going to be added to a negative list. And that's you know policy. And so it's almost unrealistic for merchants to be expected to know that that person was a victim as well or 
really an unwitting conspirator or conspirator, I think would be the right thing because they're not really being victimized either. Now, sometimes, depending on the payment processor of the triangulation website, if the bad actors have access to the full card numbers of the people placing orders, then yeah, sometimes those customers will have their credit card stolen as well later down the line and probably used somewhere else. So they probably won't even track it and go, oh, it's because I bought a coffee maker at that random website. They won't think about it. This is a big challenge for merchants. I know that several of them, especially in their brand integrity department and IP departments and all that have intellectual property, not internet protocol. And their you know, intellectual property departments may have the ability to work with a vendor that scrapes different websites and looks for their content, their pictures, their brands on other websites. And so sometimes that's how it can be taken down and identified. Other times it's through customer service calls. Another, you know, if that's reason 764, why it's important for fraud departments to work with customer service departments. But, you know, just even hearing from the customer service department that, hey, somebody called and asked for a refund, but this looks like fraud. I'm confused. That can tell you that you have triangulation as well. So it's a big challenge, especially for brand items for those new regular items, et cetera. And some of the telltale signs are going to be that the billing and shipping are different, but that also looks like a good order too. So certainly a lot well some of the fraud solutions can identify that through other means whether it's through device information or others i'm going to stop there because public forum <laughs> but they can be identified in some ways in what we might refer to as the metadata or like a, a little bit down into the data but it can be a challenge so definitely contact or or speak with your fraud provider and and check and see what they're doing for triangulation and what they've found through that. Triangulation's been around for at least 10 years. I will never forget who first told me it, and that's because it was Ryan Wilk. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that Ryan was one of my favorite humans in this industry, and he touched so many of us, from Robert Capps to Holly Sandberg, other people that have been on the podcast, Eric Bowles and others, a lot of other people who I won't name for their own anonymity, and Ryan tragically died in a plane crash in 2019. But Ryan used to work for a theme park and they saw a triangulation quite a bit with one person purchasing park passes and then selling them to someone else. But then when this family would show up at the theme park all excited and they got a good deal on their tickets and they're ready to go see the characters and all of that, they would have to say, hey, sorry, we got a chargeback on these tickets and you didn't pay us. And the customer will say, well, I paid somebody and I paid them a lot of money. And it's up to the company to say, well, you know, we're either going to honor it or we're not going to. And this can happen a lot on gift cards as well, you know, digital gift cards with digital marketplaces. So that's kind of the biggest fraud trend that is very, I shouldn't say specific to the holidays, but it's definitely much more rampant in the holidays, especially because consumers, and here's the thing, because of the economic downturn, it's going to be even more this year because consumers want a good deal. I love to shop for a deal. It's not anyone else, but I also know what to look for on a website. I know what to see when it was registered or when it was started and, you know, who owns it and look around at the website and go, oh, this looks kind of shady, things like that. Whereas not everyone else does. So especially if they advertise with Google AdWords or other things on search engines or social media, they can really get a big buzz if people are just searching for the item. And that brings me to another thing that is fairly unique to the holiday season is that there will be specific items that will be targeted both by fraudsters as well as by good actors. And especially because of the supply chain issues over the last two years and also the economic downturn, these items are in 
fairly short supply. So there's going to be more targets on them. There's going to be more targeted efforts by bad actors to get them. The best example for that would be one of the electronic, one of the gaming consoles a couple years ago, the brand new one. Yes, I know what it is, but I don't name company names, especially if I know people that work there. But, you know, they were so popular and they were on fairly short supply. And so, you know, there's a lot of bot activity, very similar to sneaker bot, which still to this day is the most popular topic on fraudology. Another interview with Diana Gashik Physic, of course. And so being able to, that's like a whole other level. But when things are in short supply, that's going to be even more targeted by the good guys as well as the bad guys. And oftentimes the bad actors are going to have more technology and more resources to obtain those items. And they know that they can resell them for so much more. So especially if they're using a stolen credit card or if they're refunding or something like that, they're essentially getting the item for free. And then they can actually get, you know, two to three times MSRP for that item as well. So it just, it's a lot. (laughs) And if you're in retail, you're like, thanks, I know, these are what my nightmares are made out of. But I do think it's important for retailers to know what's going to be targeted. You'll look at gift guides, look at, you know, some of the parenting blogs are saying, not the sponsored content, but the ones where you're realizing what the most popular items are for kids or teenagers or adults. And depending on how your fraud system works, maybe have a little bit of an extra weight on those items because they are the ones that are going to be heavily targeted. And unlike the rest of the year, Fraudsters have a very captive audience and people who want these items more than they ever do because they want to give that good gift. They want to be the favorite aunt or they want to help Santa give the best gift of the year. Things like that. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other people business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. So being aware of what's going to be targeted, obviously electronic gift cards are always going to be targeted as well, but those ones, you know, as far as items go, 
that's really important. I think this year, any year, but especially with supply chain issues and all of that, they're even more valuable to you to give to a good customer because no good customer wants to go to your website and find out that something's sold out, but also to keep it from being sold for much less and basically the profits given to bad actors. And oh my goodness, if you guys, well, the episode on Tuesday, this is a little bit of a divergent path, but I'm going to be talking to two very incredible humans who have been doing a lot of work around some of the crimes that fraud funds. And I highly recommend it, but it's going to be probably the first episode I ever mark as explicit for fraudology because they are talking about some pretty tough topics, but it really raises the stakes when you start to think about or you start to learn about where some of these funds go to. And if you didn't listen to the episode with Eric Bowles and Robert Capps a couple months ago about some of their investigations that they did at Subhub and where they traced the bad actors to and what those bad actors were spending money on, that is also a good episode for that. So anyway, another very popular fraud method for merchants that have physical locations is going to be BOPIS fraud. So um, I used to call it BOPIS. Then I was told it was BOPIS. I don't know, but it stands for buy online, pick up in store. We've seen that trend for years, especially over COVID, but it was already a thing before then. And more and more fraudsters will try to take advantage of that because they know that if an item's picked up in store, especially the same day as they place an order online with the stolen credit card, there's less of a chance that the retailer will catch it before either they themselves or they have someone else pick up the package for them. So whether that's through an errand app or like through the gig economy or through hiring people or even on like some of these fraudster forums like Telegram and Discord, I'll find people who are just saying, hey, I've got a package to pick up in Raleigh, North Carolina at this address. I'll pay someone 50 bucks and then ship it to me or whatever. That happens quite a bit. And they're relying on the stores being busy and not checking ID or not having good policies around that. Or if they can pitch a fit that they'll get the item and all of that. So really for stores that are, you know, have that in-store component and have a buy online pickup in-store, it's important to prioritize those orders through your fraud provider, through hopefully you don't have a lot of manual review on those, that you have a pretty tight SLA and that you're really communicating to customers that they can pick up the item within an hour or two hours, allowing you time to review the order. And then also that you are communicating everything to them. So if you have to cancel an order that you're communicating that with them and, you know, encourage them to buy the item in store because truthfully, the liability shifts, but they don't want to because that would mean that they would have to, you know, it's a lot more difficult to clone cards these days with 3D Secure so, or with the EMB chip. And that has always been the case in Europe and the UK for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. But it's only been the case in the US for seven. And so still you can do card swiping, but it's much more easy to use a stolen card number online than it is to use a stolen card. So sometimes you can say, we're not going to be able to make to complete this purchase online, but we'll save the item at our customer service desk and please pay for it there. And that can be one way of, of working on it. Another thing that we've definitely started to see as retailers are starting to really crack down on more bopus fraud is that now some stores are just getting calls from people. Kind of like, I don't want to say the old days, but <laughs> before the internet, 
and they're calling and asking that the store associate charge their card and then they'll have a friend pick it up. A lot of the bigger chains have policies uh, around this. In some cases, some of the stores don't even allow their associates to key in a transaction, which I think is pretty smart if you're able to do that for a POS system. I do know one very large chain that will have one, one register with a manager's password or sign-in. They can key in transactions just for those really one-off cases, but as a policy, they're not allowing phone orders to come in. And some of the smaller chains are starting to pick up on that. That was a question that came up in my retailer call a few months ago where there was a company that said, hey, we're starting to see this more. And a larger company said, yeah, we saw that a lot when we cracked down on focus orders. And this is how we got around it. It was through you know, not allowing keyed transactions, keying in the card number. Because again, if the person doesn't want to get it shipped to them, they don't want to create a drop address. They don't want to wait three days and risk that you're going to identify that it was fraud and return it back to sender or anything like that, they'll buy online and pick up in store. If you start identifying fraud there, then they'll go to the next path of least resistance, which is going to be calling a store associate, especially if that store is on commission and ordering a lot of items, making up a story and giving that phone, that card number over the phone because it's not their card number and then having someone pick it up later. So those are some of the things that we see as well throughout the year, but these are going to be especially bigger during the holiday season. And I just can't stress it enough. Whenever the economy's down and, you know, I was in fraud the first time around or with the last time around, I guess I should say, with the recession in 08, 2011 or 12, whenever it kind of fizzled out. And that was definitely the case. And now we have supply chain issues on top of it. So now you have that increased demand, both by your good customers that you want to give a great experience to and give them the items, as well as by the bad actors who are very motivated to get those items because they can probably get even more for it than they usually would, especially if they are those items that are on short supply. Something else I was going to share that I found kind of interesting is that TransUnion I just put out a survey, I think about a week ago, about consumer thoughts about fraud and online security during holiday shopping. But really what it said was that there were a lot of customers who said that they would not, let's see. So one question was, how does your concern with being victimized by online fraud or identity theft this holiday season compare to last year? The majority either had the same concern or they're more concerned. But then the part that really was interesting to me the most was of those who reported being more concerned with fraud and identity theft, 79% indicated that they viewed extra security measures positively and additional security makes them more likely to shop with merchants. 79% of merchants who are worried about identity theft, which we can get into the you know, nitty gritty on like, is that really identity theft? But anyway, like I think they're looping in credit card fraud and other types of security, you know, online issues as well into identity theft for the sake of consumers to not get too granular and confusing. 79% of them are saying that they want to see more security. I read that to an, a retailer the other day and they said, I want to see that. I want to talk to those customers. Can I just contact TransUnion and see who those customers are and ask them questions? I would say it really depends on how you do it, right? But I think that that's a really interesting statistic that if I were still a merchant, I would be sharing with my senior executives as, hey, I know you guys are all worried about friction right now, but look at this survey. Tides are changing. Now customers want to feel secure. They want to know that we as a company are taking their security seriously. The one caveat I would say is that most websites don't do a good job of saying why they're doing something. 
They don't say, hey, we're sending you a code to your text messages so that we know that it's you making this purchase. Or uh, they don't say, you know, we're asking for this additional information so that we can know it's you. Those kinds of things. They're just asking for it. And I think that's where it's going to be a challenge. But, you know, remember, there was a case study I shared that a merchant had shared with me. And this was several months ago on the episode. I think it was it had something about case study in the title, which means you can search for it. And once you're in Fraudology in your podcast app, there should be a search bar where you can search the you can search all of Fraudology episodes for a single word. So if you put in case study and that was two separate words, you should be able to find this episode. And they really noticed that when they explained to customers what they were doing for their security and why these measures were important, whether it was for for them, it was account takeover and account security. But for anything, they actually saw 10 times more revenue from those customers when they explained why it was happening and what was happening than the group that they just did it behind the scenes. I thought that was fascinating. But again, I would use that statistic as far as, you know, 79%, you know, say that additional security is going to make me more likely to shop at this customer. I'd be saying that to any executive that listened. I'd be saying that to the growth team, the marketing team, the sales team and say, hey, I don't see this as friction, but I understand why you do. But hey, look at what consumers are saying now. They're understanding that people are getting their accounts hacked in quotation marks. They're understanding that people are getting their credit cards stolen. They want to know that we're protecting them. We just need to explain why we're doing it. And if we're using targeted friction, we're impacting even fewer people. So that would be what I would do. But I just, I found it super fascinating. Additionally, they also asked which of these security measures is most likely to stop you from transacting. And the two that were the biggest were verifying personal details and knowledge-based questions like your childhood best friend, et cetera. And that's specifically in commerce. I mean, I think banking is a little bit different, but those are seen as barriers to transacting. And to me, it makes sense because those are also the things that we tell them not to give anyone because of phishing campaigns and smishing and vishing and all the issuing. So they are saying, though, that there are a lot less people saying that text captcha or image captcha or two-factor auth is a lot less likely, or there's fewer people saying that they're more likely to stop transacting on those rather than verifying the personal details. I just had a situation with an app I was using the other day where I was ordering something I've ordered from them before and selected my stored card and they asked me to re-enter my card number. But underneath that, it said, here are the times when we'll ask for that. We'll only ask for that when you change your shipping address or you change, you know, a phone number or something. And I hadn't done those things. So that was a little bit weird. And there's part of me that wonders if they really spell that out, if that's just giving fraudsters the heads up. They're going to have to re-enter the full card number if they commit account takeover. But providing that why is an example of what the consumers, at least that were surveyed by TransUnion, are saying. So I thought that was worth adding to this holiday conversation. I've been saying that for a while, but it sure seems like consumers, you know, there's different values that people uh, have that help them decide where they're going to shop and, and who they're going to shop with. And people want to do business with companies and people that they like and trust. And more than ever, I think, you know, it used to be that the selling features were around convenience or product value or product quality or the value, you know, the price, right? That's how you would decide where you shop. But I really see a trend where consumers are choosing to shop as well as banquet and use credit cards and others where they're either told that they have zero fraud liability, which don't get me started, obviously, as somebody who's been on the merchant side of card not present fraud for a long time. 
But also because, okay, I'll explain it just in case anyone doesn't understand. Sometimes those of us on the merchant side of card not present fraud get a little cranky when we see issuing banks advertising that there's zero fraud liability on your their credit cards because we know that a very large percentage of that fraud in quotation marks is our liability collectively. And so that's where we get a little cranky about it. But that is, again, another topic the other day. But anyway, I think that that's interesting to just know that consumers are starting to make that decision where they're going to buy based on where they feel safe. And so I do think that now is a critical time where you can start to explain to your customers what you're doing to keep them safe and what they can do to keep themselves safe. Right. Especially if you're having account takeover issues, suggest that they change their password at a certain cadence or, you know, that they have certain length of password or security there. And instead of just saying it requires, you know, eight to 12 characters and one special character and blah, 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 you know, one capital letter, whatever. Explain why. You know, give some tips. Right. Have a phrase. Don't just have a word. Don't use, you know, the numbers with your birthday or your house number or your telephone numbers, things like that, that will help build trust with your customers. So I'm going to go to some advice uh, and then we'll close out the episode for today. So know your marketing plan and the biggest sale days. Try to plan your staff around them. Work with your marketing department. If you don't feel like you have a good relationship with your marketing department, And if you haven't been given that information, you know, it might be worth it. A meeting if you can or an email just to say it would really help me to know what sale days you're having and what what days the sales are on and what promo codes are being used, et cetera, so that we can try to pass as many orders as possible and not have good customers impacted. Marketing's going to be like, okay, here you go. Here's our calendar, right? Don't just ask for it. Explain why. The why is always so important. And when you're, you know, talking to marketing or growth, you need to know what they care about most is people having sales and people having them quickly and having a good experience. So if you stress that part rather than so I can stop all the bad guys, they're probably more likely to give it to you. Also be aware of what products are on sale when so that if they are popular items that you believe will be targeted for theft, then, you know, staff accordingly. Make sure your whole team understands these sales. Sometimes if a team member doesn't know that there's a big sale going on and they're not really looking at the price or noticing that it's different than usual, if they're doing a manual review, they might think it's really suspicious that somebody ordered three of the same item in their cart. But then if they're to know, oh yeah, that's right. Well, those video games are buy two, get one free or whatever it is, then they're more likely to understand the context and pass that order. So it's just communication from marketing to you as a leader, as well as to your whole team is super important. Work with the warehouse for cutoff dates. That's obviously just for physical goods, but I didn't mean dates, I meant times, but oh, dates too, actually. So, what time do we need to get this to the warehouse in order for it to ship today? What, and then as you get closer and closer to the holidays, what days absolutely need to ship out? And that can get really tricky. And it has the last two years, especially because of shipping carriers being behind and, you know, consumers being really upset if their items don't get there right on December 25th, if we're talking about Christmas. I know a few, at least two department stores that had a lot of chargebacks last year. And the reason wasn't that the items didn't come. The reason is that the items didn't come in time. They didn't come before December 25th. So if there are orders that are stuck in manual review for a day or two and you know it's getting close to the cutoff, consider providing expedited shipping. Or if you know it's looking like the carriers are delivering a lot later than they expected, so they give a five to seven day window of, we'll 
will be able to ship from the warehouse to the customer's house within five to seven days. And you're noticing by beginning of December, mid-December that it's actually now nine to 11 days. You talk to operations and supply chain about paying expedited shipping because it might be worth it to save those chargebacks as well as customer experience and making sure that they come back throughout the year as well as for next year's holiday. You know, identify the most popular SKUs and gift cards. I think I covered that. Plan for high volumes and having staffing as well as having good, you know, SLAs, right? Your service level agreement. How long is something going to sit in the queue if you have manual review? I haven't even talked about this yet on this episode, which is fine. But I worked with a well-known brand in the holiday season of 2019 for their holiday season. And they had, you know, significant amount of fraud as well as I would actually say more than their fraud issue was canceling the wrong orders. They were canceling good orders, but letting in bad orders. So they had high chargebacks and low approval rate. And one of the biggest things that made a huge impact was me. Well, I had to fly there because it was international, but me going to their manual review team and just giving them training on where to look and what to do and context. And here's this extra tool that can help you for this and that and helping them with that. It helped their speed. It helped their turnaround. It helped their approval rates. So also checking in with your team and making sure that they feel comfortable reviewing quickly and accurately and maybe having, you know, one last hurrah as a team to kind of go through orders together and, hey, what would you guys look at? What looks risky to you? Even if it's over Zoom, that can be super helpful. You as the leader can pick out those examples. So maybe pick out a couple that really look like fraud and really aren't or things like that. So that can be a helpful tool. But look at your risk thresholds. You know, that's going to vary based on your stack, like I said, right? If you've got a, a rules engine with linear rules, you're probably going to want to lessen some of those rules so that they aren't so stringent. If you have machine learning, that's a little bit better, but it's a lot better in a lot of ways. But You're not going to need to do that as much, but work with your fraud provider to say, hey, it looks like there's too many orders getting caught up by the system. Is there something I can do differently? Maybe you have rules and machine learning, so you can kind of take up a couple of those rules, especially if it's a rule is three of the same item in one cart. Well, again, if you have sales or if you have, I have twin nephews that want the same things all the time, just one in one color and one in the other. Okay, well, that's two pretty much of a similar skew. Am I going to look risky? You know, so those types of things is what I mean by rule adjustment. Things that don't make as much sense in the holiday season where it would be risky any other time of year, but it happens during the holidays and it makes sense, right? Like billing and shipping address different. Oh my gosh, if you don't have, if you have that rule in place, you're going to be manually reviewing 60% of your orders this year and that's going to be exhausting. And also, you know, don't forget, like, I think we mentioned this when we were talking about why Diana doesn't like manual review, but you know, actually, as much as we all feel like, or a lot of people feel like control is important and the more orders that your team reviews, the more accurate those outcomes will be. Actually, the data says something different. For the companies that have done studies on it, they actually find that you know, as long as you have the right technology in place, it's actually more accurate than humans. Not always, and I'm a believer that there should be a hybrid of everything but it really isn't the same in that case where we just, as much as we want to think that it's manual review is the best, it isn't always. And so being able to understand that and trust your technology and look at the data is going to have a lot of value. Work with your fraud provider to understand how they detect triangulation fraud, as well as any other trends that they're seeing with other retailers. And if you are a fraud solution, it might, this is my free consulting advice, 
but people pay me money for this as well. <laughs> well, sometimes I want more detailed information, but I will say if you're a fraud provider and your analysts are starting to see a specific trend in retail or in a specific sector of retail, like athletic goods or electronics or something like that, send out an email, have your account management team send out an email to the other retailers and say, hey, we're starting to see this trend on this company. We're looking at it for all of you, but you, know, you might want to keep an eye out. Merchants love to learn from each other. They really love to learn directly from each other, but they also are happy to learn from you about what's happening with their peers. Yes, they're their competitors, but they're their peers. Now, I would never name the merchant. I would never say this specific company is having this issue ever, ever. But you can say that there's a merchant that has similar business model as them and they're seeing this and here are the signs of it. That can be very helpful and that can also help you as a solution provider earn trust through your clients and your customers. And then the last kind of advice that I, well, actually there's two. So one is communicate with customer service. You really should have a two-way feedback loop. You really should have a close relationship with the customer service manager if you can. I know it's really challenging for companies that have hundreds of customer service agents and have call centers in different parts of the world. And I know that that adds more trouble, but we ask if you can send out a quick Google form survey to the agents and just ask them, you know, what new things are you seeing? What was the weirdest call you had last week? What are you seeing consistently? Are you hearing this, this, or this? Just so that the fraud department knows what's coming through to them. It's really best practice for the customer service department to kind of understand what you do and what you're interested in so they know what to transfer to your department or what to email you about. That might be hard to do at this time of year now, but any kind of communication with them, sharing with them the why, as well as asking them to share with you the what. That is so important. And then lastly, and I think this is maybe one of the most important things is try to incorporate fun for your team. I had so many like theme days or I just, I mean, some of them were cheesy, but my team really enjoyed it. And I mean, obviously check in with your team and see how they like to be praised or have fun because not everybody enjoys, I don't know, a, a breakfast buffet brought in if you're working from the office or not everyone enjoys alcohol being sent to their house if they don't drink alcohol or things like that. And not everyone likes to dress up, but just have some fun, whether it's contests like the funniest fraudster name or or email address. Sometimes they can be very creative. Sometimes they're not safe for work, but you can navigate that. You know, there's all kinds of games you can look up for, you know, remote teams to play. Just pop on and have a 30 minute brain break and not talk about fraud and just be goofy. You know, have a Slack channel that's dedicated to memes or different types of things like that. Gifts, whatever your team is into. It's important because your staff, especially if there's manual review, but even if there isn't, even if you're looking at all the data and everything else, anyone who's in fraud for retail is going to be working late nights and early mornings. They're pretty much going to tell their family, I'm barely going to see you at Thanksgiving. I'll barely see you at Christmas. Like I'm barely going to get to partake in any of the holiday festivities throughout the months. I'm just going to be working. They're giving a lot of their time. And if they're on salary, they're working for significantly cheaper than usual. So also, I just think, you know, mental health and our ability to have a little bit of fun is more important these days than ever. So that's where I will leave you. I hope that that was helpful to you, even if you aren't in the retail space. I think that there's a lot to learn from the holiday season, and I just don't feel like enough people talk about it in a way that makes sense or just in a deep dive way. So I'm going to wrap it up there. I will be providing my thoughts 
about Twitter and Elon soon. I don't know if that's going to be another podcast this weekend. I don't want to ask my editors to have to edit something else because I've already been a little bit late giving them things, but it also might be a LinkedIn article. So I'm um, not a post an article. So keep an eye out for that. And again, you guys, I know that these days are feeling long and we are all exhausted. It has been a really long two and a half years, but you're not in this on your own. There are thousands of other people in fraud prevention and trust and safety and just in the world that are probably feeling very similar than you. So do what you need to to take care of yourself and your family and then to fight fraud. I think that needs to be our third priority rather than our first, even though a lot of us are inclined to just focus on catching those bad guys all day. So all right, with that, I am going to sign out for today, but I look forward to speaking with you more next week. Next week is actually International Fraud Awareness Week, so I have kind of curated the content to that a little bit. All right, I'll talk to you soon. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.